You know how it's Mardi Gras in a Baptist church? No one's here. You're all on vacation. I'd like to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 2, as we continue our way through this great and glorious revelation of God's incredible kind providence, Exodus chapter 2. You remember the narrative from last week, there Pharaoh has set out three plans in order to thwart the will of God, the plan of God. Moses is, or Pharaoh is concerned about the quick and rapid growth of the nation of Israel. And so he first sets out in this plan to enslave the nation of Israel, cause them to work in a very difficult way, thinking that somehow this would stop the rapid growth of the people of God, but that doesn't work, does it? So Pharaoh sets out on plan number two to extinguish the uh, people of God, and he sets out to kill all of the male children, and he does that by working through the midwives, and so he wants to make sure that those responsible for delivering these kids are tasked with ending the lives of these young children, but you will know by God's good providence, plan number two doesn't work either. Then at the very end of Exodus chapter one, in the last verse, we see what Pharaoh's plan three is. Enslaving the nation of Israel and causing them to work in a very difficult way doesn't work. Tasking the midwives to kill the young boys doesn't work. So notice what he does in verse 22. Pharaoh says, I will task all of the nation of Egypt to kill every one of these young Hebrew boys. Verse 22 of chapter 1, then Pharaoh commanded, notice what the text says, all of his people. Every son that is born to you to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And so the text hangs in balance at the end of chapter one. Will Pharaoh's plan three be successful? I see some of you saying, no, you're exactly right. It will not work. Chapter two, In chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we learn this truth. God will providentially provide for his people even using the evil intentions of our own hearts. God will providentially provide for his people even using the evil intentions of our hearts. Look how this narrative begins to unfold. God is going to providentially provide for his people, first of all, through the gift of a family. Notice what the Bible says, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi 
went and took as his wife a Levite woman. So we know from the very beginning of this narrative, whatever is going to take place here, these are going to be some unique characters. Now we know that because we've already read the Bible, and for sure by the time the nation of Israel is reading this text, they are familiar with the narrative of the Levites. The Levites are going to be the tribe that is going to be tasked with representing God to the people. They are going to be that priestly class of of people. So we know from the very beginning of this narrative that whatever is going to take place is in some unique way being providentially guided by God. Here is a Levite man marrying a Levite woman, and the two of these people are going to come together, and notice what verse 2 says, conceive. Now isn't this interesting? A Levite woman with a Levite man, and what will we learn in Exodus chapter 19 about the nation of Israel? Israel herself, if you will, will be tasked with being a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Listen what the text of Scripture says in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, or my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So a Levite man, a Levite woman, and what we know to be true, a coming nation that will herself be in its entirety a royal priesthood. The setting has been cast. It is indeed a divine drama of utter importance. A Levite man, a Levite woman, verse 2, they conceive, and notice what happens. They bear a son. They conceive and bear a son. Now, Moses is not using the same language that he used in chapter 1 to speak of the fecundity of the Israelite nation, but he uses this language here to speak of this growth of the nation of Israel. And we see that God's promise is continuing to be fulfilled among his covenant people, or the people who will become his covenant people. Chapter 1, the nation of Israel is growing. They are multiplying. Chapter 2, Pharaoh has set out a divine decree to stop the growth of the Hebrew nation. But what do we learn at the very beginning of chapter 2? Pharaoh's plans continue to fail. Pharaoh will not be able to thwart the very will and plan of God. God is using the gift of family in the context of this passage to providentially provide for his people. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was, notice what your text says next, 
The ESV translates this next word, when she saw that he was a fine son. Some of your Bibles translate this a beautiful son. Twice in the New Testament, this narrative is repeated in Acts chapter 7 and Hebrews chapter 11. And in both of those cases, the text in the Greek New Testament reads in some measurable way speaking of the physical appearance of Moses. But you might find it interesting that this text of Scripture that has been translated in my English text and your English text as fine, or in some of your cases, beautiful, is actually the Hebrew word that we see appear seven times in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, we learn that God looks upon creation, and when he looks upon creation, he defines that creation as being good. And at the very end of Genesis chapter 1, he tells us that creation is indeed exceedingly good. The readers of the Hebrew Bible would have immediately picked up the connection of what is taking place here. Don't miss it. The Word of God is telling us that they conceive and that they bear a son, and he is a good son. An immediate connection all the way back to creation of seeing God's providential care for his creation communicated. When God looks at creation, he sees it as being the good work of his hand. And when God looks at this story, when God looks at the child Moses, when God looks at this young baby, he can't help but see him as being one who is good, one who will fulfill God's covenantal promises to his people. Moses, in some way, is bring, or the narrative of this Moses story in some ways is bringing us back to Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, we are reminded of God's good purposes, of God's providential care for creation. And at the very beginning of this narrative, Moses is writing to us to say, regardless of the turns in the story, and there will be turns in the story, God is providentially providing for his people. A Levite woman, a Levite man, they come together, they conceive, and they bear a good son. Ultimately, this understanding of goodness flows from the very character of Yahweh himself. This is the root of of the word that we find in Exodus chapter 33. Look with me in Exodus 33 for just a quick moment. And this revelation that God uh, gives of himself to Moses. You'll remember Moses wants this assurance from God. The nation of Israel by chapter 32 has sinned against God. Moses is wanting this assurance from Yahweh himself. Lord, I want to see you. And notice what happens in Exodus 33 verse 19. And he said, I will make all my, you see that word? I will make all my goodness 
pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. The very goodness of the character of this all-powerful, all-knowing God is being communicated in Genesis chapter 1 through creation and in Exodus chapter 2 through creation and ultimately Exodus chapter 33 and the revealing of God himself to Moses. You're going to have a good son, a fine son. This goodness is being birthed in the very goodness of God himself. And notice what the Bible says. She hides the birth of Moses for three months. This is also what the text of Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses, and the Bible goes on to tell us, was hid for, for three months. His parents hide him for three months. But notice verse 3. There comes a point where his mother is no longer going to be able to hide the birth of her son. When she could no longer hide him, she took him and placed him in a basket. Thank you, buddy. In a basket. That basket is made of bulrushes and dabbed in bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. As his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. We see God providentially providing for his people, primarily here in verses 1 through 4, through the gift of family. But notice what God, or how God providentially provides for the nation of Israel through the gift of family, in this case, Moses' mother. The Bible reminds us, or tells us in this text, that Moses' mother has gone to work. It's going to be no surprise that Moses' mother would indeed have a deep compassion for her child. We understand the love and devotion that parents, and particularly mother, have toward a young child. And this text is flushing out for us just how compassionate and loving and caring Moses' mother was toward him. Don't miss it. She goes to work. She took for him a, notice what your Bible says, a basket. But if we were reading from the Hebrew Bible this morning, this is a word that has already occurred in the Pentateuch. It's occurred 26 times in a period of just three short chapters, Genesis chapter 6 through 9. Anybody want to take a guess about some basket that you read about in Genesis 6 through 9? Man, you guys are so smart. This is the same Hebrew word. Now, obviously, Moses' mother has not built an ark the size of what Noah has built. But notice, this ark, this basket, is going to fulfill the same purpose of God providentially providing for his people that the ark fulfilled in Genesis chapter 6 through 9. Not only does she build the ark, but she's also using some of the same materials. 
bitumen and pitch. Some of the same materials that we find mentioned in relationship to the building of the ark. The story is moving toward a climax. The readers of the Hebrew Bible would have immediately made the connection through the language that is being used of knowing there is something exceedingly unique about this narrative. And by the way, this will be the last unique birth story in the rest of of the Pentateuch. There is something quite unusual about this narrative. God is not only providentially providing through the gift of family, but notice what's going to happen through the remainder of this text. God is going to providentially provide for his people even using non-believers. Even using pagans. And it reminds us as we think about our own worldview, friends. God is always at work accomplishing his will. And God will use whatever means necessary to accomplish his providential care for his people. Even when we can't see it. Even when we don't understand it. Do you think Moses' mother, as she stood at the edge of that river, understood or comprehended the very providential care of God? I can hear her now, can't you? I can hear her now as she Moses' sister, whom we think later in the narrative is actually Miriam, places that basket along the shore of that river among the reeds. You can hear the weeping, can you not? You can feel the intensity of that moment as this mother thinks perhaps This will be the last time I hear this child's voice or see the creative beauty of God in his life. So chapter 2, verse 5, Moses is placed. Sister is watching. Verse 5, now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young young women walked beside the river. And notice what she sees in the... among the reeds. She saw the ark among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. And she took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister, that is Moses' sister, said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse from among the Hebrew women to nurse a child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, 
Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Do you see God's providential care for his people being provided even through non-believers? So here it is. Pharaoh's daughter. Notice the pitting of this narrative of the women against Pharaoh. The ones who were viewed in terms of Egyptian society as being part of the lowest of the low. A woman. Already in this story, we are seeing the number of times that women are acting as an agent of salvation on behalf of Yahweh. Chapter 1, the Hebrew midwives. Do they pay attention to what the mighty king Pharaoh says? Or or do they disregard his word? They disregard his word. Chapter 2, surely... Pharaoh's daughter. Surely, the one that comes from Pharaoh's own palace, she will indeed carry out the wishes of Pharaoh. But will she? No. Even Pharaoh's daughter understands the creative purposes of God in the giving of life. Pharaoh's daughter values life. And might I just take a few moments and say to you, Pharaoh's daughter values life more than the modern Democratic Party in the United States of America. A pagan, godless, Egyptian woman values human life. God will providentially provide for his people, even using non-believers to accomplish his purpose in life. She shows deep compassion on this child She takes him into her arms. The sister says to Pharaoh's daughter, who remains unnamed, Pharaoh's, Moses' sister remains unnamed later until later in the story. I've got a plan. We're going to take this young baby back to his mother. But notice what Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter, finds out about this young man. She picks the young man up out of the basket, and the Bible tells us that pretty quickly, She identifies him as a what? A Hebrew boy. How? Man, y'all are spoiling my sermon out here this morning. I want an attention to rise. You know, I'm going to say things like, well, surely she looked down at him and she could tell by his ethnicity that he looked somehow different than the Egyptian babies. No. She knows that he is a Hebrew boy. Why? 
because Moses' parents, even in the midst of exceedingly difficult circumstances, are still willing to pledge their lives in obedience to God, and they fear God more than they do Pharaoh. This text raises the question for my heart and for your heart, for my life and for your life. Just how faithful to God are you? Now be careful before you answer the question. Just how faithful to God are you? Well, I surmise this morning that for the majority of us, we might think of ourselves as being exceedingly faithful to God. And part of our willingness to confess this faithfulness to God in large measure is because, let's just be honest, we live in the greatest country in all of the world. We live in a great part of the state of Louisiana where we have access to all kind of really nice things. So that in some ways, this faith that we profess in God is a faith that is easy to profess. But I wonder this morning, or perhaps by this afternoon in Ukraine time, what it might look for the Ukrainian church late on a Sunday afternoon. Lynn shared with me this morning that Awana sent out an email saying that there are over 500 Awana clubs in the country of Ukraine. And in those 500 Awana clubs are some 25,000 children. And yet, like you... I too have seen the intense devastation that is taking place in the country of Ukraine as they stand, metaphorically if you will, at the bank of their own river, wondering, will God be faithful to his word? See, friend, if you don't purpose in your heart now the goodness of God mentioned in verse 2, if you don't purpose in your heart now that God will and is providentially providing for his people, even using the evil intentions of the hearts of mankind, if you don't purpose in your heart now of God's incredible goodness and faithfulness, I promise each and every one of us, we will all one day stand on the shore of our own river. And the question is, will you trust God in that moment of incredible difficulty?
Moses' mother does. Moses' sister does. Pharaoh's daughter, without even knowing it, is playing a role in God's providential care for his people. She takes the young man, sends him home with Moses' sister, who's going to give Moses back to his mother. And his mother is now going to providentially care for Moses. How long does she care for Moses? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. Somewhere between three to five to six years, Moses is going to stay in his, in his mother's household. But notice what the text says in verse 10. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Now, you might be tempted to read this story and think how unkind and how ungracious of God. How could God give Moses back to his mother and allow her to care for him for just a few short years? We, we know three to five years when you're raising a baby seems like an eternity. I get it. But when Junior gets older and you reflect back on those years, you think, man, those years went by so fast. Notice what the Bible says in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, as Stephen is giving his speech, listen to what he says as he reflects theologically upon God's providential care for his people in this time period. Acts chapter 7, verse 22. Uh, Actually, let me go back to verse 20. Acts chapter 7, verse 20. At this time, Moses was born. He was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in what? All the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and in his deeds. Can you think of a time coming quickly in the book of Exodus where the wisdom that Moses would gain from living in Pharaoh's house might come to play? Moses, in just a few short paragraphs, is going to be tasked with one of the most daunting tasks ever given to a man. Go to the most powerful man in all the world and say to him, let my people go. How would he ever be prepared for such a task, particularly being a Hebrew living in slavery down in Egypt? I'll tell you how. God providentially provides for his people, even using the evil intentions of our hearts. We've heard that narrative before, have we not? At the very end of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 50, in verses 19 through 21, hear what Joseph said as he reflected upon his being sold into slavery. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. 
As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Well, you meant for evil. God meant for good. For what purpose? To bring it about that many people should be kept alive. Friends, what will God do in the same way through the life of Moses? God will use the evil, wicked intentions of the hearts of Pharaoh ultimately to bring about this Savior among his people who will be responsible for keeping many peoples alive. Moses will be that Savior that Israel so desperately needed. So I've spoiled it for you. I've already given you his name. Maybe I should have concealed Moses' name until the very end. That's what the text does. Look at verse 10 at the very end. She named him what? Moses. Let's trace Moses just for a second through the text of Scripture. Back to verse 1 and verse 2. He descended from the tribe of Levi. Verse 2, he is a man that is good. Tov, he is a man that is favored by God. Thirdly, we find out from the text of Scripture that he is a, in verse 6, Hebrew baby who then becomes the son of Pharaoh's daughter who ultimately is given a providential name, a Hebrew name. You see what the text is doing for us? Even without telling us in its entirety yet, there is something exceedingly unique about this young man. And look at his name again closely. She called him Moses. Why? Because she said, I drew him out of the water. You know what Moses' name means? One who draws or pulls. One who draws or pulls. See, God is telling us, even through the giving of Moses' name, there is something unique about this man. For what will Moses ultimately do? Moses will serve, as we will see time and time and time again, as a type of Christ. Who will draw, who will pull his people out of slavery and symbolically out of sin and set them in the direction of God's promised land.
God providentially provides for his people, even using the evil intentions of our own heart, God always provides at just the right time. Listen as Paul reflected upon the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ in Galatians chapter 4, in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come. In other words, Paul is saying, at the exact right time, at the perfect time, at the time in God's providence, what has God done? God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. For what purpose? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Friends, God has done through Jesus what he has done through the giving of his son Moses. God has provided Moses at just the right time in human history to provide salvation for the nation of Israel. And in doing so, Moses reminds us that God is still at work. God is still at work providing just at the right time throughout human history to provide salvation for you and for me. God provided at the right time his son Jesus Christ. But not only did God provide at the right time his son Jesus Christ, friends, at some point in human history, and let's just boil it down more personally, at some point in your history, at some point in your life, at some point in my life, at just the right time, God provided you with salvation. God delivered you from bondage and from slavery. God gave to you Jesus at just the right time. God provided for you at just the right time a Moses who pulled you out, who drew you out from slavery and brought you to faith and hope and trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you experienced that right time this morning? Has that right time occurred in your life today, friend? God has done all that is necessary at his timing to provide for you salvation through the sending of your son, Jesus Christ. A narrative much like what we read in Exodus and earlier from Matthew chapter 2, the parallels between Jesus' birth and Moses' is striking. But don't miss it. God is still providing that salvation for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your providential care. The way in which you so well provide for your people. Even using the, in, the evil intentions of the human heart to accomplish your will. God, we marvel this morning. at your wisdom, at your providence, 
We marvel, God, at your divine power. Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning and reflect on the preaching of God's word? In what ways do you see God providentially providing for you? Children, God is providentially providing for you at this moment by placing you in the homes of families who are believers so that you might hear the word of God. God is providentially providing for you as your parents teach you the truths of God's word. Pay attention. Listen. Parents, God is providentially providing for your children by placing them in your home. Will you be a Moses for them? What will be your primary hope for them? Will your primary desire be for them to know Christ? Will your primary desire for them be to know the Word of God? God is providentially providing for your children now. Don't wait until tomorrow to shepherd, to lead, to be a Moses. Perhaps you don't even see it at this moment, but God is providentially providing for you through a non-believer. Through a job. But perhaps God has given you that job with a non-believer so that you can be a Moses to him or her. Do you see God's providential care in your life, friend? Would you thank him for it? As you thank him for his providential care, would you ask God to place on your heart one to whom you can be a Moses? Who are you speaking God's truth to? Who are you sharing the word of God with with a hope and with a desire to see them pulled out of their own sin. Friend, do you need to be pulled out of your sin today by trusting in Christ? By believing in Jesus? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. What we each deserve and have earned because of our sin is separation from God, and nothing can save us from that death other than the work of Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you believe in Christ today? 
In just a few moments, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's Word. As we sing together in response to the preaching of God's Word, myself and Pastor Travis will be down front. Perhaps you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ. We will be delighted to share with you how you can trust in Christ. Please feel free to come forward and talk with one of us. But you don't have to come forward and talk with one of us. You can turn to someone who's seated next to you, for there are plenty of people in this room who would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Secondly, you, maybe you'd like for one of us just to pray with you, that the truths of this text of Scripture would indeed resonate in your heart and your life, that you would providentially trust in God's care. Or thirdly, maybe God has placed upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Him. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord, as we respond to you now, we ask that our responses might be pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.